I can't believe you've never heard ain't nothing going on but the rent. I mean, it sounds like vaguely familiar. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's typically what somebody says when they think that they're supposed to know something they don't like spider webs. I'm just saying. Mm. Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin States in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, August the 17th, back on our regularly scheduled night to record. Hopefully, you're listening to this on your regularly scheduled day to listen, or at least for it to be released, um, and nothing went wrong in that process. Um, I never realized how much I, um, how much I jinxed that. Um, but anyway, all right. Fall camp, obviously well underway. Cavaliers had their first scrimmage on Saturday. Um, we got to see at least the first portion of it, um, which is, you know, uh, very appreciated. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the train is not going to stop. The, the, the start of the season is right around the corner, September 3rd against Richmond, who apparently will be down its defensive line coach who decided to retire today. Um, I only mentioned that because of Jeff, Han- Jeff Hansen. Anyway, just a very random time to decide you want to retire. Um, we have lots to discuss, though. We're, we're going to try to get to a little bit of the coastal breakdown we typically do the week before our um, much-loved um, preseason prediction podcast when basically Dave and I lose our minds and um, Ferber only slightly loses his. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, the aforementioned David Spence, the uh, board moderator du jour, is also is on the podcast, not also, because I haven't introduced anybody else yet. He's in Fishersville, for the record. Dave, how's it going, my friend? Pretty good, man. Been a good week. Yeah, I was thinking it feels like fall today, right? Like, it's felt like fall here for two days, making me crave football, where, of course, it'll be 100 degrees on September 3rd. So, <laughs> who days on the board, at who days on Twitter. And in Charlottesville... Editor-in-Chief Justin Ferber, also on the program. How's it going, my dude? Yeah, not bad. I feel like that first game is always like either 100 degrees or it's like we might get a hurricane yes. or something. Like, yes. Or somewhere in between. <laughs> um, yeah, it's never just like a regular day, I feel like. Um, so I'm sure that this weather will turn back around right in time for that. So I had Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional way banter. Yeah, I feel like it's either, you know, I remember, I, it's for some reason, the the Oregon game from years ago is locked in my brain as to, like, the the heat. I just remember my arms sticking to the table anytime they <laughs> anytime they touched them in the press box. Um, it's either, yeah, it's either going to be 110 degrees in the shade or there's going to be some type of weather event that we're going to be watching in the days leading up to it. There's a 0% chance that, we have the weather of the last few days um, then, which would be absolutely just perfect. But, yeah, man can dream. All right, speaking of that opener, obviously the Cavaliers getting ready for it um, to play the aforementioned Richmond Spiders. Um, we got to see a little bit of um, the scrimmage, as I mentioned, 
And I thought it might be a good time to sort of do a little check-in on sort of where things are. Now, there has been one more um, opportunity, I guess, for media members to see a little bit and talk to kids after. Um, and that happened last night. There will be another one as you listen to it uh, on Thursday, which is um, tomorrow for us. Um, for I, I think I want to start by just sort of talking generally about the scrimmage. I was I was a little bit surprised at at one thing that it didn't look as different. Maybe there you know it, it it didn't look as different, but it certainly went a lot faster. And I don't think I was prepared for the when in terms of the you know eleven on work that I got to see that they were going to go as fast as they went. Do you think that this that the tempo we saw Saturday? is indicative of the tempo that Virginia fans are going to see when the, when the thing runs out, you know, when the thing actually runs out on the field. Yeah. To a large degree. I think so. I think that's the plan. Um, everything that I've seen, which is very limited in terms of like 11 on 11 type stuff has been quick. So, and you've heard a lot of players talk about it. Um, you know, I was just transcribing audio of Jay Wolf yesterday and, you know, like he has some stuff in there about it. Um, they kind of like do these rotations where they do like four plays and out and they go four plays pretty quick. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're going to try to go fast. I mean, uh, we asked coach Kitchens about that at the media luncheon before camp. And he kind of mentioned that like, and you know, it's up to the, to the listener to interpret whether this is coach speak or real. I kind of interpreted it as him like telling us the truth was that he said they're going to vary the tempo based on the scenario, which it's, you know, sounds kind of like common sense, but, you know, I think they're going to try to go fast and keep the defense on, you know, like on their toes off balance, um, maybe keep them from substituting if they have a, an advantage. Um, and, you know, like they'll go from there, but then, you know, when they need to no clock, whatever, they'll go slow. So um, I, I imagine there's going to be a balance, but, um, I'm interested to see how they make that, dis, you know, determination whether to go fast or slow, like within an individual game or yeah. like once they have some feedback to look at data. Right. I felt like one thing that stood out to me was a lot of the, a lot of the different pieces seem to fit into place kind of how I expected. I didn't see as much of Keaton Thompson as I thought I might. Um, but I thought that, you know, what, what they were doing offensively made a lot of sense. The tempo was really interesting. I, I think it seems like to me it's safe to say that the default for them is going to be to go fast. There certainly will be situations, I think, where they'll maybe slow down a little bit, especially, you know, if they need to give their own defense a break. I could see that sort of being an element to it too. I thought it was interesting that, you know, going into the practice, it certainly sounded like, um, you know, the offense had been a little sluggish and the defense had been the one sort of um, kind of taking it to them. Um, and the offense was one – that sort of won the day, um, you know, now granted there thereafter, um, <laughs> you know, what, what happened at practice last night or yesterday afternoon, you know, late afternoon, rather the, it sounds like the, the offense really, um, things really swung struggled. back around the other yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the old, the old gate came back and, and, uh, yeah, it seemed, uh, seemed like there was some, uh, some repercussions for some of those guys, you know, in terms of sloppiness in terms of lack of execution, Certainly, the offensive line seemed to to get the brunt of it, um, but overall, I, you know, I just think that the thing that probably stood out to me the most was the tempo. Um, it was also good on the defensive side of the ball to see some faces that I'm not used to seeing very often. You know, we had talked a lot, and we talked a lot since uh, the end of last year, right, about just sort of the the depth that Virginia has on defense and and how this new staff could maybe utilize it. And I mean, there were, you know, there were some, some known faces. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like Nick Jackson wasn't out there. It wasn't like Aaron Famui wasn't out there. 
Um, but it was good to see some of the D- DBs getting some burn, um, you know, to see like, you know, um, some of the, the, the guys in the front seven, you know, James Jackson playing inside. I just thought it was a, it was good to see some of those guys getting some burn and looking the part. Um, now granted, you know, as, as Tony talked about in the, um, media availability after, you know, you're playing yourself and, you know, where you're, gr- where you're glad the offense did this, you're kind of mad the defense did that. And that's sort of this, the, 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 the normal, you know, normalness of fall camp. Um, Dave, as you've seen things come out, anything that's sticking out to you, like, you know, from a concern standpoint, cause I walked away from it thinking like, okay, maybe the defense isn't, um, isn't stopping them as well. But given what we'd heard to that point, it was actually good to me, at least to see the offense put some, you know, some drives together, put some points on the board. Um, with the benefit of not just that that day, but also one more. What mm. what is any anything of concern? Anything you're sort of worried about at this point? I mean, it's less so on the defensive side now. Maybe that's just you know ignorance on my part. But you know, it seems like the defense has better pieces than they had um, last year, and a scheme that's a little better designed for them. And I don't know why. I just I trust that that'll be better. Um, like I said last week, it can't be much worse. So only one way to go. So, I mean, if there's a concern, it's obviously the offensive line and kind of building that cohesive, you know, cohesiveness as they move forward because they haven't been able to have the same five guys together, you know, on a consistent basis because of whether it's not really injury, but being held out for whatever reason that might be. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, it would comfort me to kind of have an idea where they're going. I think we're starting to see, you know, who the ideal five would probably be, but right now it's probably three and a half or four guys set trying to figure out who's going to be the fifth. Um, so, I, I mean, I think they're a little further along than worst case scenario going into camp, but, um, you know, you're, I think, what, two weeks away, two and a half weeks away. Um yeah, you know, it'd be nice for them to have a few days, if not a full week, of of their best five or you know five to seven playing together, um, just so that's you know that's not as big of an issue going into the Richmond game. I will say though, you know, the schedule does kind of help. You know, if the schedule was flipped, I'd be a lot more worried about that <laughs> than I, than I am now. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's you not like use those first three weeks to figure it out, kind of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, going to Illinois is not going to be a cakewalk. Um, you know, that game, you know, ended up being a pretty big Virginia win last year, but it was tight for quite a while. So, um, and they got better as the season went along. Yeah, they did. So, you know, I I think that's gotta be every fan's big concern to see offensive line. Yeah. And I, and I feel like too, and I think usually this is a good discussion for us. You know, we don't know right now, you know, there are a handful of positions we do know, right. We know who the, who the guys trotting out there first are going to likely be. Um, but but I don't think they know what their optimal five is just because they haven't had a chance to see it because of, you know, a, a range of different situations and whether it's injuries, illness, whatever. Um, but the bottom line is the same, which is like it feels like that's the one thing that they needed the most time to figure out. And it seems to be the one thing that they just haven't had a chance to figure out. I mean, from a health standpoint, everywhere else, they seem to be in a really good spot, right? The offensive line was the one that they needed the most reps for, and that seems to be the one that remains the biggest question mark. Um, I think it might be a good good idea for us to sort of go through and, and talk about maybe p- position battles. I mean, obviously, we know who the quarterback's going to be. We know 
the depth at wide receiver, so we don't necessarily need to talk about every position. But I'm just curious which ones stand out. Let's start with the offensive side. The, the line is the, is the biggest one. I feel like, you know, the fact that they, they seem to have been playing furnish at center with Johnson at guard, given sort of where they are. When they have lines. to. Right, when they have to. But do we know – do we do we have a sense, Ferber? What do you think? Do we know who the center is going to be if if all guys are healthy and, and available? Yeah, I think, Johnson? Gonna, I think it's going to be Furnish. Okay, so you think – so He's been the center pretty much all through camp, and, I, okay. and he's like the one guy who, um, you know, Flores aside, uh, has been like there the whole time. So, like, I think he's taking advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And we Tony Elliott after the scrimmage was kind of – lauding him for his progress and like how much he has to know things like that and i think he's going to be the guy um when i've seen johnson it seems like he's a guard and it seems like that's more of a necessity somebody else is out you know yeah Yeah. but i mean like he could be like a swing guard you know you could throw him in there if you need to um and maybe he ends up playing at center but i feel pretty good about the five um, well, I feel pretty good about four of the five, and then okay. there's a competition, I think, for the fifth. So, what, what is your what's your breakdown then? So, all things equal, like with health, um, Logan Taylor at left tackle, um, and then I'll just say guards because I don't know if they're going to do left guard, right guard with the two. Like, I don't know if they'll figure that out. My guess right now would be Flores and Josie at the guard spots, Furnish at center, and then your right tackle is um, Leach or Divine. Right. Um, is that the and I think it's like probably Leach. Yeah, and I think it's probably Leach because of uh, like the way that he's been talked about a little bit. You know, like they've kind of said how he's making some strides. And right. um, I know that he was one of the guys they were happy about in the spring. So I kind of think he might have the inside track. And Divine, I think, could also play guard, like if they needed him to. Um, I think, honestly, the way it will work is like um, – Honestly, though, I mean, like if there was maybe a guy that could be, you know, in competition, it could be Taylor because he's been out a lot. Um, and Leach could play left tackle. Flores could play left tackle. So you kind of have some different options there. Uh, I, but I, it feels to me like when Taylor's there, he's the left tackle. Um, yeah. But I would say, like, the way I think it'll work is they will um, figure out who their best, like, four are. And then Flores will play wherever he needs to play. Um, like that's how it kind of seems to me. Like he could, he's a guy who got bigger so he can play guard, but he could also play left tackle. He could play right tackle because he's been a, a blindside blogger for a right-handed quarterback. Um, so I kind of think like they're going to, they're going to find like the three or four guys. I, I would say furnishes. I don't think Flores is going to play center. Um, but like, you know, you could kind of pencil him in at center furnish and then you kind of like find the other three ish guys that you feel like, all right, these are our guys. And then you find a place to put Flores because he can play all over the place. Now, in in days of, of old, you know, 2J used to talk about, you know, five coins thrown in, you get the best five. Um, Dave, do you get a sense or do, what's your gut tell you on whether or not once they get the five, do you feel like they'll just stick with them or do you feel like you're, you're seeing a rotation and different guys getting burned? I mean, with the tempo, I expect to see – for good chunks of games i don't know how you can play just five you know they're big dudes um and we've also seen 2j kind of like pull guys when they make mistakes yeah and you know i think 2j ideally he's kind of like leach got plenty of burn last year you know um bissinger who obviously transferred got tom so even when we weren't running that tempo he kind of likes to work the other guys in and you know i think 
given what happened last off season, you know, being left with pretty much a bare cupboard, I think, you know, it's probably in his best interest and probably the, the team's best interest to kind of get snaps where you can for everyone. Right. So, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a pretty physical, they're going to be, you know, running more tempo and hopefully playing a more physical brand of football. So, I don't know that you want to have a set five. You'll probably have your your starting five, and that'll probably be the group you want to have on the field in a in a crunch drive. But yeah, um, yeah. To me, like you know, Justin kind of you know discussed. I think Justice Johnson is kind of your your sw- first swing guard off the bench, most likely, um, mm-hmm. or Josie, depending on which one they start. And then I like the with the flexibility you get with Flores. I think you know you can use Devon anywhere. Um, you know, guys like Charlie Patterson might get a little burned. So there's yeah. some talent there, but I think, you know, with the, with the five they have, I, I definitely a little more comfortable than I was a few weeks ago. Um, but it is a little concerning that they haven't been able to keep them healthy through camp. Yeah. Right. And it's weird too, because like, um, I would be more concerned, honestly, if guys were just out and not coming, like not playing, but then they'll have like Logan Taylor be in a practice out of practice. So I don't, I don't know that he has like some sort of like serious injury or anything like that. It's just kind of like maintenance. I think this staff, like they've been probably more cautious than other staffs I've seen in terms of like holding guys out. And like coach Kishing said yesterday, like those green jerseys, they can mean so many different things. Um, So I think that, you know, it's kind of hard to do no contact as an offensive lineman. So you kind of just have to sit out. Um, yeah, I mean, just watching some of the clips with the green jerseys, there is some contact. Yeah, yeah, like they'll do cool individual stuff. drills, but I think they just can't go in like a lot. Yeah, I mean, my hunch, you know, with between the catapult data they have, you know, couple that with the temperatures we saw early in camp um, and the tempo they're running in practice, it's probably just an exertion thing. Right. They're like, you know, he got too much that day. He needs to right. slow down for a day. Um, and then you have like Billy Camp and Ronnie Walker coming back from injuries. Um, like they yeah. were in green a lot, you know, stuff like that. Um, speaking of Ronnie Walker and the running back position. Yeah. Um, Much talked about. <laughs> don't, don't yell at me internet. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about the running backs. Obviously there's been a, just a tremendous amount of focus on the running game in general, you know, to be fair, since Tony Elliott was hired and Des kitchen was hired and sort of, there's so much talk about balance this and balance that. And um, it, it has been, you know, what the offensive line has been sort of the, 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 the Uber focus, right. For a lot of people when it came to the offense, but the, the balance with the running game and whether or not they were going to be able to develop the running game, you know, tr- in a traditional sense has, has been a huge focus as well. And certainly the last couple of weeks with camp and everything, um, you know, some comments here or there about Paris Jones where he has sort of put himself in a position of, I did not for the record. I, I mean, may, maybe Ferber disagrees with me on this, but I did not, I did not understand Tony Elliott to mean that Paris Jones would be his, his, his starter because of, you know, anything more than his experience level and sort of what the, you know, the, the sort of total package he's shown, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's the starter. Does that make sense? Like to, what I heard, what I, what I felt like he was saying is, is that like, Hey, if it was today, I'd probably play him first. Yeah, he probably does the if first. it was today. But ironically, that day, Mike Collins got the first. Snap, exactly. And so. he looked damn good in the process, right? He, From what we saw, apparently, like I went back and watched the clips and he was like, when you guys were there. 
Like, that's true. So I don't yeah, know he what was happened good out of the gate. Left, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I think there's been such a hyper focus on, on Hollins and the idea that like the staff is pushing him. And certainly his comments, you know, he he has not been bashful about saying like, hey, I love the fact that they're pushing me. Um, and I think that there's also this, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, and I'm not trying to get on the soapbox again and start, you know, pokes, you know, talk about, you know, we, we talk we talk to the fans too much. But like, I, I think ever since the COVID year, there has been a hyper focus on him in a way that I don't think you can necessarily say happens at other positions. Right. In part because, you know, when he played, <clears throat> you know, there was this whole, you know, the, he, he was going to get like the push in the, um, you know, in the traditional sort of professional wrestling sense. Right. He was going to get a push and then he fumbled and then it was like, well, what happened to him? Right. And then, you know, I, I think since then there's just been a weird sort of um, intensity about him and the fact that the coaching staff wants to push the guy, wants to get the best out of him, wants him to reach his potential. I mean, they're talking about it because they believe I, – I think they talk about it because that's what they want and they think it can happen. You don't typically find coaches saying things about guys that they want to get the most out of who aren't any good, that they don't have any confidence it will be good, right? Like, those are the dudes you just never hear about ever again, and then they just leave or they, you know, wash out or whatever. Um so I'm curious to see, you know, how they handle this position. I think it's going to be Hollins um, in large part because I think he is the most talented. Um, but I think it's also fair to say that there are other guys in that room who will who will get opportunities. And the question is production, right? Uh, you know, especially when you're looking for when you've got a young offensive line, whatever the, the running backs can do to help that out, they're going to do. Ferber, if you had to bet today, who do you think the who do you think the starter is a running back? Um, Mike Collins. Um, I don't know that that necessarily means he's going to be getting, he's going to be on the first play of the Richmond game, you know, cause that's technically who starts, but I kind of think he'll be the guy. Um, but I do think that Jones has worked his way into like a platoon situation. Like, I think that you'll, I don't think there's anybody right now among these guys who's going to be the guy like, um, and I kind of don't think that's going to change. Like, I don't think that Hollins is going to get, you know, have like a 1400 yard season. Um, because I think he's going to be sharing the ball. Um, but yeah, I think Jones is a different kind of player too. Um, you know, I talked to him after the scrimmage and I was kind of like, how much do you feel like your skill set would help you play in this new scheme versus what they were running before? Cause like, let's be honest. I don't think he ever would have played under the previous staff in a meaningful way because they didn't value throwing the ball to the running back. It just wasn't like a big part of their offense. So um, and I think that's part of the reason that Wayne Talapapa was on the field so much is because they really needed him to be in pass protection where he was pretty good. Um, and then to get a yard when they needed a yard. Um, but yeah, I think like Paris Jones will definitely factor in. And, uh, I would say Cody Brown is lurking. Um, you know, he looked kind of good in what we saw from him in the, in the scrimmage. Like he definitely looks the part, everything I've seen from him in practice, like in the limited, you know, exposure has been good. Um, I know that they said he has to kind of come along, but I kind of feel like he's lurking and maybe he kind of emerges as like a, a guy that like can, you know, if you're up at the end of a game, he can maybe finish off a game, that sort of thing. Um, Cause he's just physical, but he's got like enough tools, you know, speed to, to make some, you know, Hey, the running game. So I think it'll be like a Jones Hollins combo where Hollins gets most of the carries, but then Cody Brown, like as things maybe move along, continues to get more work and then I would say like Xavier Brown I would just bookmark him for future seasons um 
he looks like pretty explosive. Um, I just think, you know, he's a ways away from the field just because there's probably guys in front of him and um, maybe he gets involved in special teams or something, but right. definitely a name I would kind of keep an eye on. And then Ahmad Faustin's been out. So yeah. I don't know if he's going to play or what, but um seems like he's kind of, you know, best case scenario, he comes back soon, but he's got ground to make up now because I think the other right. guys are, you know, further along. Dave, we went that whole segment. You know, I was talking about running backs. We didn't talk about Ronnie Walker once. Does that concern you? Or yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> that's okay. No, but no, I, mean, I think that, that sort of speaks to the depth. I mean, what's funny is that they went, you know, when Talapapa left, you know, you're, everybody's kind of looking around like, uh-oh, you know, like, where, what are they going to do? And I'm not worried about the running back group at all. Like, yeah, I mean, they, they've got all. dudes. Yeah. They just haven't necessarily settled on and haven't put it out there. But, Dave, do you think Walker's going to be a bigger factor than um, than maybe our pre- preceding conversation implied? I mean, <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it just depends on how, you know, he, he's behind the eight ball right now, obviously, from the injury, which, you know, he's coming back earlier than expected from. Um, but obviously, you know, Cody Brown's on the roster. There's a little more depth there and some guys have gotten more reps. So I think he could. Um, I mean, my, my feeling is it's Holland's job to lose. Um, and like Justin was saying, Cody, the clips I've seen of Cody Brown, like, I mean, I could see him. You know, there's a lot to learn in this offense. Like if you've studied, if you've gone and watched, gone down the YouTube wormhole that Justin and I talked about a few weeks ago with the Morris offense, like it's a, there's quite a bit on the running back. Um, so, you know, there's a lot to learn there. So you couple that with talent, um, that'll kind of dictate where you are. So I'm sure Ronnie Walker has been in the playbook. And I know if you look at, you know, when, when Ronnie's healthy, he's got a skill set that's a little bit different than, than all the other guys. He's probably a little bit better pass catcher than Yeah, he's a well, good he's fit for what be- they do. Yeah, yeah, he can get healthy. He's definitely a better pass catcher than than Hollins has shown to be and right. I don't really know much about Brown, uh, Cody Brown in that res- respect. Yeah, but, he's got work. He's kind of like Hollins in that regard. Yeah. Cody yeah. almost reminds me a little bit of Wayne. Um the way he runs and especially the way he was finishing around the goal line and the, and the scrimmage highlights. That's so, what I mean. I feel like he's the kind of guy, like when you need hard yards and yeah, maybe yeah, if he, yeah. and maybe if Hollins has ball security issues or anything, like they're just like, Hey, we're just going to put this guy in and he's going to get us four yards. Right. Yeah. I thought, I don't know if you guys are watching hard knocks this year or not, but um, last night's episode, there was a pretty big story about Deandre Swift, you know, there in Detroit, who's by far their most talented running back, but he doesn't do the little things and do stay like on him for about back. 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's exactly what I thought about. Like that's what that's what they're doing to to Mike right now. They know he's got the ability to to be an elite running back, um, but you can't do that if you you know little mistakes here and there um, add up. And I think you know if you're watching that, it's, it's pretty good parallel to me. Let's move over to uh, the defensive side of the ball. Um, I feel like Ferber, we probably do know what the defensive front looks like, right? And I feel like you know, we kind of have an idea what the, the linebacking core looks like. Um, mm-hmm. That's not to say that anything is set in stone, but, I mean, I think we understand, you know, Carter and Falmui in the middle, right? Um, if you had to if you had to pick it, do you feel like you know the front seven pretty pretty cold? Do you feel like you, that's pretty, pretty much set in stone? Not quite, but I would say the big thing is, like, they're going to rotate, I think, quite a bit. So I think it's really like a front seven, but there's like five or six other dudes who might play. Right. Um, Cause like, I mean, you just mentioned Falmui and Carter, like, yeah, they're going to play, but then you're going to rotate in Davis, the transfer. Um, you know, you, then you have like guys like Sue and Michael Diada who've been like pretty involved um, and, and guys like that on the line. And then at end, you know, you have like, 
um, like a weak or like a strong side and you have like Ben Smiley, but you also have other guys, you know, obviously Cam Butler's going to be one of the starters. So like you have some rotation there as well. Um, and then that like overhang linebacker edge spot, you know, you've got like Mike Green, but you've also got some other guys who have seen there. So um, I think I have a pretty good idea of what it's going to look like with the caveat that you're going to see different guys. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And right now I would say like the big, like kind of quote unquote position battle on the line would be besides just like depth at like defensive end and stuff like that right. is uh, like that other linebacker spot next to Jackson. Right. Um, and right now from what I've seen, you know, in the scrimmage and then in practices, just going through drills and stuff, it seems like Josh Ahern has a bit of an edge um, for now um, with like uh, James Jackson and Hunter Stewart kind of trailing. Um but, yeah, because Ahern's been in there with Jackson the most. So, um, But Jackson, I mean, has been kind of talked about as the high-ceiling guy. He was banged up earlier in camp. So maybe he makes up ground and plays. Um, we'll see. But, you know, there's also been a big emphasis on the defensive side of the ball and in rotation, you know, rotating guys in and out and, you know, the front seven and the secondary. So I think you'll, you'll see plenty of that until um, it kind of coalesces. But even during the season, I expect – you know, if there's seven guys in the front seven, there's probably like 13 or 14 guys that yeah. are going to play. Yeah. And I think that was one of my takeaways from from Saturday, honestly, was like there are a bunch of options. Um, there were guys that were too young to play last year, but maybe yes. not this year. And yeah. they also added – I mean, that's the thing I think a lot of folks have not realized about the the depth, on the, especially on the defense side. There are a bunch of dudes that they brought in um, – who yeah who are legitimate guy, players like you forget right? about you know yeah, like I mean between Butler and him rotation. and the Davis kid like that's three quality pieces you added on the defensive front not to mention I think Smiley is ready for prime time I, I think that that has been you know that has been something that has kind of stood out to me this camp is just like that the the sort of like narrative around him and sort of like the temperature around him I, I'm not going to be surprised at all to see him making some big plays I feel like Carter has gone like largely under the radar. Right for a guy who physically has definitely made some gains in his and you know all, I feel like his whole career he's just basically like turned heads. He's done more than folks expected. You know everybody was so focused on Jawan Briggs, and understandably so. I mean the kid was a monster, right? But I mean I feel I feel like Carter's really come on, um, and even at the linebacking spot they just have these they have these guys like James Jackson is a perfect example, right? Like they have these dudes who, like Ferber said, is you know guys who were a little young to make real contributions last year, um, but they've got some they've got depth that they just haven't tapped into. Right? We haven't seen a whole lot of Hunter Stewart. We haven't seen a whole lot of Deshaun Perry. We haven't seen a lot of like Sue. We still haven't seen anything from Chico Bennett. You know they they've got a bunch of options um, and the the rotation thing like. We, we yeah, probably, I didn't even mention those Chico Bennett. Right, exactly. Um, like the fact the fact that like we probably don't need to focus on starters on defense because realistically, like whatever the two deep says, it, they're just going to be a lot of guys in and out. Um, especially you know as the thing gets going, I feel like that unit has a chance to be even better. I think um, than we thought. Um, real quick, let's talk about the DBs. Uh, I feel like we have a pretty good handle on the corners. Right, we, we we I feel like we've got a pretty good sense of what that's gonna be. I'm not I'm just not sure about safeties. And I'm I'm really curious to get y'all's thoughts. A lot of rotation there. Like yeah, I mean that's what it feels like to me. I mean, I don't even know if I, you know, was it, it you could probably say like, oh, you know, the, the Clary kid it probably has the most experience. Um, he's probably yeah. gonna see a lot of burn. Um, yeah, I think he's kind of a starter and 
and he didn't play in the scrimmage, but um, yeah. And then with Cohen Kings hurt. So like that kind of opens right. the door for other people too. If he does. Now, when did that, did that play. happen? Did that happen last night? It happened on Saturday after, after, yeah. Cause he lowered the boom on somebody in the middle and me and I were both like, yeah, we were yeah. both like, Whoa, that was a hell of a hit. And then, yeah, I don't know if it was that, but it was later on, I guess. He fell and hurt his elbow or something, according right. to the coach. But, but um, he had like a thing on his arm. I don't know, like a kind of like a brace to hold his arm in place. Not like a cast, but like a big brace, like, um, like the fake arm in the Terminator <laughs> almost. Um, but yeah, like yeah, I don't know how long he's going to be out, but that certainly opens the door. And like Dave the other day texted me and was like, uh, said something. He was like, did the, the did the Hollins run happen when Aiden Ryan was in? Was that at the beginning? And I was like, yeah, Aiden Ryan started. You know, yeah, like that's right. So yeah. Um. All right. Let's 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 talk coastal. Um. Before we get too deep into this, I, I kind of I, I know in the past what we've done is we've kind of talked about the league or the division here this week before we get into the pre- predicting things next week. Miami gets the the first place votes. Um. Gets the gets the nod from those who voted. Uh, I don't say media anymore because who knows who actually voted in that poll. Um, but Miami gets 98 first place votes. Pitt gets 38. Then it was Carolina with 18. Virginia was six. Um, a, a maybe closer one two between Miami and Pitt there than than maybe some folks might have thought. Um, in, in, and I mean I think there are plenty of people who think that Pitt's going to be the best team regardless of of losing its quarterback and its offensive coordinator. Um, as we've discussed in the pod before, the um, <laughs> the, the situation between Pat Narduzzi and Mark was pretty pretty funny. But um, anyway, overall, let's just start with a general conversation. Um, do you feel like the the coastal is Miami's to lose? Is is Miami getting that bump because every every year, whenever there's any sort of potential like pulse in in, in Coral Gables, you know Miami gets the bump. How do we feel, Dave, about the coastal in general? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of similar to last year, except Miami's taking the role of Carolina. Um, you know, they've got a lot of talent on the roster, and they have a quarterback coming back who's, you know, maybe not as you know, not as proven as Howell was going into last year, but you know, who who's shown some things, and a lot of people are high on. I'm kind of on the fence with him. I think he's got talent. I don't think he's as elite as he's being made out to be. Um, but I think when you couple what Miami's got coming back with, with Cristobal and, you know, the, the eternal Miami hope, it kind of makes sense. You know, if I had to put money on one team to win the coastal, I think that's the safest bet. Um, just because everyone else has more question marks, you know, Pitt and UNC replacing quarterbacks, you know, Virginia with new, new, um, new staff, you know, Duke the same. And then Georgia tech with, you know, <laughs> a tough schedule and a coach who might not make it through the season. So, um, yeah, I mean, Miami's got plenty of talent. You know, Virginia won down there last year, thanks to the, to the doink. Um, hmm. but you know, it's, um, you know, I'll believe it when I see it with Miami, but you know, I'm a little, I buy in a little more to what, what I'm hearing out of the, you know, reading out of Miami now than I did with the previous coaches they've had. Right. Um, is that partly but, because of Cristobal? Is that, I mean, is yeah. this the competency? Is, there's I mean, I think he's just again? not as showy and, you know, yeah, he's kind of dialing it back a little bit down there. Um, right. Look, he's, when also they said like they were a, he's also like a blue collar coach, which is like yeah. the opposite of what they've had. Yeah. yeah. When they but, said they were getting rid of the um the turnover chain, turnover I was like, chain. oh snap, they might actually be back. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of one of the reasons I, <laughs> I thought so too. Now, you know, the, the flying the ointment with Miami, I think is they, they've got a tough schedule. Um, yeah. and that's a team that, ha- you know, has always had talent. They've just never handled diversity. Well, you know, I think Miami usually one bad adversity. game for Miami turns into <laughs> two or three I losses. Mean, I think you mean adversity, adversity, not diversity. sorry. Yeah. Diversity. They've <laughs> adversity. They haven't, um, I was, they, uh, you know, usually one loss from Miami turns into, you know, two out of three or That's three true. out yeah, of four. They tumble. Yeah. Um, you know, that adversity, um, <laughs> we're not cutting they, that either. Yeah. That's in the show. I think my thing with Miami is like with their schedule, this is kind of how I feel about it with their schedule. They only need to be like a little bit worse than people think to lose a few games. That's fair. Oh, yeah. That's 100%. very fair. Yeah. That's very yeah. fair. So it's like uh, it's like even if they don't like fall flat on their face, it's like eh, like if they're like if people think they're like uh, if you were using like you know a Madden rating or something, if people think they're like eighty seven overall and they're like eighty three overall, you yeah, know that could fall be off like, that could be a seven and five season or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Speaking of a speaking of a rough season, can we just talk about Georgia Tech for a hot second? This has burned me up since the, since the voting. Who who what person who, who was this one person who voted for Georgia Tech? To get a first place vote, I just don't like what one happened. One of those things where you know, if you're right, you're you're God. If you're if you're wrong, nobody. <laughs> it's cares. like, oh, I look, I no, listen, uh, I no offense to to all my my good friends, um, Jameer Gibbs Ewing theory. <laughs> one, does anybody in here know what the Ewing theory is? Two, does anybody know who he is? Um, I still think we, we bagged on that kid real bad last year, and he ended up having a really nice year. So I'll leave some crow on that. Um, yeah, I, I just can't imagine that that staff is still in Atlanta this time next year. Just can't can't foresee it. If that happens, hey, more power to them. Um, but the fact we brought that, this up a few weeks ago, their schedule is the dumbest schedule I have ever seen. <laughs> no, it is. I I was actually kind of egging you on here, hoping you would jump would jump in and start talking trash about it because it was funny. Uh, it's but, so listen, bad. This is this is how bad Duke is, Duke might be. Okay, Georgia Tech is 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 ahead of them, and I have no qualms. Right, like Duke is in a bad spot now. To its credit, the the Blue Devils are recruiting pretty well, and they're you know probably going to have some decent talent. <laughs> Those guys aren't on this team. <laughs> <laughs> but all right, so the, but I mean, let's let's be real. The 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 bulk of the of the coastal really comes down to you know not just Miami, but the the three teams that come next. Right. Um, whether that's going to be Pitt, I mean, I, I'm, I'm still very skeptical. I understand that Pittsburgh has more talent than just, you know, here or there. I understand that, 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 that they, that they've done a better job of sort of, um, stock in the cupboard, but I just have a real hard time rubber stamping them as, you know, coastal favorites or, or second Carolina continues to me to be just an absolute enigma, um, they might be like a little under under the radar, which is like, funny because which is so know, weird, right? Exactly. <laughs> and at the same time, you're talking about they're we're replacing not just like the best like player on their team, but they're replacing you know one of the best players they've ever had, right? Um, so, well, I mean, who's a who was a better quarterback there, right? And I mean, who knows what you're going to get from Virginia Virginia Tech, right? Like, but those two teams seem, you know, for lack of a description, and I, I, I apologize to the UVA folks listening to this, they, they seem to be right about the same, you know, they kind of joined at the hip, right? It's like both of them have restarted things. 
certainly Virginia Tech fans are super jacked because they hated that dude more than life itself. Um, so, you know, Brent Pry comes in and, and there's a lot of excitement and such. He's going to, you know, bring back the traditional, you know, blah, 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 which is so funny because he spent like one year as a grad assistant there. But anyway, um, but he, you know, he really, he's really all about that hokey life, man. Um, but anyways, I, I feel like for me, and I'm, I'm, I want to get y'all's opinions on this. I feel like the coastal in its last year, sniffle, sigh, um, in its last year is, is every bit as question mark as it's ever been, but in a less like, in a less like Keystone cop sort of way. Yeah. It's not as bad. Yeah. It's not as bad, but also I'm not really sure what to make of it. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I think this season kind of to me is like, we had this exact same conversation last summer. I remember talking about this and I said that if I was going to bet on somebody to win the ACC coastal, I would bet on Miami because I just was like a little down on North Carolina and I ended up being wrong about that anyway. Um, that was, you know, you forget like Derek King is their quarterback. So they were almost as hyped as Carolina was. Um, and obviously I completely kind of, forgot that that guy was there. Yeah. And remember like that people were like, they're going to be good. And then they started like one and three or something. And then King got hurt and things kind of went sideways and then they got better. Didn't um, he have like a huge NIL deal too? Like before the season? I think he was one of the first ones to sign. Yeah. Like a and then, yeah, it just never really yeah. worked out. Yeah, and he got hurt, and yeah, they kind of, and then also like they got Michigan State. And Michigan State was like way better than people thought they were going to be, um, and stuff like that. So um, their season kind of fell apart. But we did talk about this, and I was like, "There's the two teams, Carolina and Miami, who were like the favorites and kind of like the the safest bets. They seem like the most complete teams." And then there was like the middle class of the ACC, and we talked about it. And I remember saying something like. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those teams, and I think I highlighted UVA as maybe the team that could do it, um, could like jump up and be, you know, like maybe be on the same playing field or better than those other two. And it ended up being Pitt. This year, if you could almost say the same thing, where it's like Miami and like Pitt are kind of the two favorites. Um, and I can't really argue with it too much. But I don't think that the gap between those two and like Carolina, for example, is like very big. If Carolina can get decent enough quarterback play, um, or Virginia, you know, if, if things kind of fall into place for them and they're a little better on defense than people think, and the offensive line is okay, and they can take advantage of the schedule that they have and don't like you know miss a few like five foot putts against the easier teams, like um they could they could end up with a decent record and at least in like viable in the race until the end of the season and it's hard it's you know it's it's hard to remember now given everything that happened afterwards but UVA went in was leading pit in the second half of that game at Heinz Field and if they had won that one and then beaten Tech which they were favored in they would have won the Coastal so they were really in it until the end um you know and it's not that much of a stretch I think some of these like middle class teams might be able to make it interesting at, at a minimum. Yeah. Thanks for stealing my point there. For yeah. No worries. <laughs> I was going to bring up the whole, like, I think Pitt's a little overvalued this year. Um, totally depends on the quarterback for me. I think. Um, I mean, it's some, like, he's not going to be Kenny Pickett. He's mm-hmm. not going to have the year Kenny Pickett had last year. Um, you lose the Bolitnikoff winner. Yeah. And you know, they've got talent on that roster, but to me, when, Pitt won last year because of their offense. Their defense was not good last year. Yeah, they were, they were average. March up and down the yeah. field. Um, a lot of teams put a lot of points on them. And uh, so I don't think they're the pit. They're not the pit 
of three or four years ago. Um, and I'm not, not sold on their, you know, what their offense going to look like, but yeah, I would, again, if we get back to the, if I had to put money, I think I would pick Carolina to be second, just because I think we'll see a market improvement in their defense. Um, first year, at least under Chiswick, their offense, big question mark, you know, anytime you're replacing a quarterback in today's game, you know, that's a, that's a, to me, it should be a, you know, a big question mark. Um, you're right. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if UVA makes a run at the coastal, but I wouldn't be shocked if Miami runs away with it either. Or if there's just another, like every year, you know, three or three or four games left will be everyone. will have a scenario to, to win it. Um, How many quarterbacks are remaining in the division from the beginning of last year? Just two, I think. Armstrong and Jeff Sims. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, because I mean, like even Dan Van Dyke was like fighting for a backup job at that time. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't I even know that he was going to be their backup, year. but the backup got hurt or something. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know, and then became kind of the cult hero. It was all about Derek King. You know, he was on some Heisman lists going into the season. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, and obviously Sam Howell. So, but you know, I think you know if, if you look at returning quarterbacks, obviously Virginia's got the best one in the coastal. Um, it's just can they, can they form an offensive line and does the defense improve? But there really wasn't a dominant defense in the entire division last year. You know, Miami was probably the best, um, but they weren't elite. You know, there's really not an elite. Yeah, defense. they had plenty of shootouts last year. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's gonna be a wide open race. I look Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's got some pieces, but with that schedule they have by midseason, like he'll it'll probably take firing Collins to try to get the locker room excited enough to finish that thing out. Cause I mean, they could very, they'll most likely start out one in four. Um, no one in three. I think they've got Western Carolina in there too. And then Duke. So, um, so two and four maybe, but you know, Duke, I think will make a little improvement. I think they can't be much worse, but I think Duke you know, will be a Duke little better, better than probably they were a year last year, away. but but not enough to like win a bunch of games or anything. No, 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 no. I'm just thinking, I, you know, um, I just don't think they'll be as, as bad as they were last year, but my question is like, how are they going to score pace. points? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like their quarterbacks that they, they were two guys that were there last year and they neither of them were very good. Like yeah, they couldn't score on Virginia's defense, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that tells you something, right? I mean, yeah. And they lost Mateo Duran. I think who was like their only good player. Um, yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what Tech's got. Like, I mean, Tech will be better. Yeah, I like um, how we just haven't talked about them at all. <laughs> I mean, I think they'll be better just because there seemed to be a lot of division in that locker room and everything else. Um, better is probably not good enough to make a run at the coastal. Um, you know, if Virginia had done their job the last five years and won majority of those games. Tech would we wouldn't even be thinking of them at all. Um, I think like Tech this year is going to be um, kind of a weird year for them but like i kind of feel like they might have a season where like they don't win a ton of games because of their roster but they look a little bit more confident and maybe like pick somebody off that they weren't supposed to and their fans ultimately like aren't upset about it because they're like okay like we didn't look we didn't feel like we disappointed this year given the roster it was more like you know we did what we were supposed to do we just don't have the guys yet kind of thing and then the, the determination on whether or not it's a quote-unquote good season might come down to whether they beat UVA or not 
Yeah, I mean, um, I think he's trouble. got a honeymoon honeymoon season, but yeah, you know, Virginia Tech's only replaced this is their what third head coach in our lifetime, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, and Fuente, they, when he got there, like won ten games or whatever it was, so they're not used to a coach having a struggle. I think season. that he would have to be pretty bad though for them to be oh, yeah. like, "What the hell is going on?" I think because like the, I mean, they're they have ready made excuse because they, I mean their roster really is kind of in a bad spot. I think. I mean, it's not like. UVA's roster has more probably like talent on the roster. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but UVA's talent is like not equally distributed, which is their problem. Like yeah. they're yeah. loaded at wide receiver and quarterback, but they don't have any offensive linemen that have played a game. So it's like, you know, that kind of thing. Um, the only way I could see them getting in trouble is if they absolutely have lay an egg, like, you know, four wins and they get beat pretty handily by UVA. Um, yeah. I think it would have to even be then, like, like I think it would have to be like a three and nine, four and eight, where they just look way out of their depth, and then UVA beats them like handily at home. Yeah, like I mean, listen, I I I know we get in trouble with the whole like talking whatever. Can we talk about Tex fans? Because I would like to to talk about sort of what their expectations are. I feel like you know, Tech is Tech is is like Miami light in the sense that like whereas. You know, Miami of old, they lost a couple games and everything would sort of like fold up shop, right? It's, I, I think Tech fans, if if they come out of the gate and they lose, you know, they lose ODU or it's close, even if it's close, right? Their fans will be obviously, you know, on edge. They could absolutely lose to Boston College at home. Oh, they might be underdogs in that game. And, and, if, they, and if they were to start the season 0-2, in, even if it's one and one and that ODU game did not go as well as they thought, I do think you're going to have a lot of fans who have been, I don't want to say they've been drinking the Kool-Aid um, this, you know, these last um, few months, but I think they have been so angry at Fuente for so long that it makes, it makes a lot of sense psychologically. If even if they didn't necessarily like really like see enough evidence to, to say like, yeah, we're back or we're going to be fine or this is great. I feel like what you're going to get from this is that you're going to look back and think, oh, you just really wanted to believe it. Not necessarily saying that there was anything wrong with what you believed. It's just like that the data wasn't necessarily all the way there, but you gave them the benefit of the doubt because you needed to because like it was such a huge part of the identity that like they can't fathom the idea that they got rid of Fuente and they actually might not improve. Right. And when I say that, I don't mean like over time. I don't think that I think the days of tech fans being like patient is over. Right. They're patient with like other things, but like they don't uh, in their heart of hearts. If if this thing does not jump off the ground, well, it's not going to go well. I just feel like they have for the last few months been really conditioning themselves into the idea that like, hey, this guy is the right guy. We're going to be fine. We finally, The Wicked Witch is dead, right? We can finally move forward. We can get back to being who we are. We're going to go join the SEC and everything's going to be great, right? If, they, if it's bumpy at the start, I mean, if they get, they get to that West Virginia game and they're like one in three, they could legitimately be one in three after that West Virginia game, right? They could go into October one in three, heading to Chapel Hill, and I would I would imagine if that's the case, the wheels are off. You know what I'm saying? And I'm and listen, I know that what I just described is like every Virginia fan's like perfect setup, right? Except for they probably would hope that they lose to Wofford anyway. Um maybe they're not, you know, maybe it's not realistic to say one and three. Let's just say two and two. 
if those if they're two and two and that ODU game that win didn't go as as well as they thought, and they just got beat at home by West Virginia, I mean, I mean, look, man, I'm not. I, I'm not saying that this is what's going to happen. I'm just saying that like these are fans who for months and months have convinced themselves that this thing was in a much better spot simply because the person that they hated was no longer there. So yeah, if you talk about that, they, they went three, four games to lose CVA. Man, it's gonna it, who care? You know, Virginia fans aren't gonna care what happened to their team, right? Um, they're just gonna just gonna enjoy the the meltdown um, that is gonna be every message board that Tech uh, fans uh, frequent. Yeah, I don't really know what the temperature of their fan base is. I mean, the people I've seen have been kind of like, they don't think they're going to be very good. So, like, I don't know. I mean, I think if you look at what they have on the team, like, it's pretty easy to see. And, like, all right, you mentioned that two and two. Like, I think that's very possible. I think they'll be somewhere between there and three and one. But I would probably say two and two. Like, honestly, I think they'd probably lose to Boston College and West Virginia is a toss-up. But they get both of those at home, so – they could be 4-0, like, if everything falls correctly. But then this stretch, at North Carolina, at Pittsburgh, Miami at home, at NC State on a Thursday night. 0-4. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you could easily – I mean, I'm not saying they will, but, like, they definitely could. That's three out of four on the road. Three of those teams are ranked. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not good. I just don't points this year, man. Like – you know, the quarterback is not have as, to be very the quarterback good. had like better stats at Marshall than I realized. He just didn't have a lot of touchdowns, which I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but you got to have someone to throw it to. And it's a, you know, the, they don't true. have a lot of skill position talent, you know. Yeah, they um, just don't have a lot of guys like on the edge of either side of the ball, I feel like. No, their offensive line's in a better spot than, than UVA's, but it's also replacing a lot. Um, and then defensively, like, you know, they weren't great on defense last year. Um, I do expect them to step up a little bit there, but again, they don't have a lot of new pieces there. So it's going to be guys playing above the level they did last year and better schematically. So, but, but you know, that's, that's a staff that is pretty unproven too. So who knows how it's going to go. Um, the one thing I will say looking at their schedule is like, if you look at it and things are, they're kind of treading water and not really like not doing anything special, but they're not like, you know, one in six or something. Um, they have a chance to kind of like run out the season with some momentum, which would keep people happy probably and maybe like Fair. get to a bowl. Yeah. Georgia, Georgia Tech at home, at Duke, at Liberty, UVA. Yeah, I was going to say that it just could reminds be, me of, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say that it could be like Dateline, you know, November 12th, right? Tech had, Tech was four and five, right? Having just beaten Georgia Tech. Go to Durham. Now they could win the next three. And 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 put lipstick on the pig and everything's ha- you know in a much better spot because you close the season the way you did. Yeah, and but, I think that's when if they go seven and five, you'll get the people being like, "Pride did this with a terrible roster." Right. right? Exactly. Like, then yeah. then they'll start having their their come to Jesus. Okay. Yep. You know what? This was fine. But at the same token, if if that Duke game on November twelfth in Durham is the kind of like, hey, this is those one of those scrappy games that Duke's going to win that they don't have any business winning, right? Now, I'm not thinking Tech's going to turn around a week later and lose to Liberty, but they could absolutely lose to UVA. <laughs> I think they're more likely to lose to Liberty than Duke. <laughs> like, <laughs> but but you see what I'm saying? Like that, you know, you're talking about like Duke probably might win some more games. 
Like, okay, well, these this is the thing. This is the kind of stuff that happens in the coastal that we don't really account for, right? It goes back to like you know when we do the preseason prediction show, and I start giving you these weird scores. Like everybody thinks like oh thirty five twenty one or thirty five twenty four. It's never like those the the numbers are never as like cut and dry like that, right? Like it's always sort of weird. And Duke winning a game in November against a team they shouldn't is absolutely the most coastal thing ever, right? The last place team ends up beating somebody. You know, middle November, that like that's totally the stuff that happens in the coastal. Of course, that would be the way for the coastal to go out. So I mean, it just sort of happens that 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 tech is the team sort of, you know, in the in the eye of that um mediocrity uh storm, right? So I, I'm not again, I'm not saying Duke is going to do that, but I mean if if they were four and five and then lost to Duke, right? And you, and then they gotta turn around and go to, go play Liberty, you know what I mean? Like it's just a that's a very bleak sort of way you're exactly right Ferber they could absolutely run the last four games transform their season from what it was to what they hope it would be convince themselves again and and they probably will be in a better spot because I do think you know from a roster standpoint they're going to be better down the road than they are right now just simply because of the things that that Fuente and company left in their wake but this could be a really rough season for them and could it also turn out well? Sure. If the, the kid from Marshall is pretty good, obviously he gets he gets the starting nod if he's able to to sort of um, find that consistency they've been lacking. Sure. But I don't know, man. Like I, I, I think there's there's a whole lot of opportunities for them to step on a bunch of banana peels this year. And their roster as it as currently constituted does not does not fill me with much hope that they're gonna be able to like find consistency and ride it if that makes any sense yeah, yeah and just I, go ahead i'm sorry I, I don't kind of a little change of topic but brent pry and his personality i guess i just wonder how that that kind of boisterous um you know mr have the fun like how does that stuff go over if you're two and three yep or you're two and four all that um, all that we, folks virginia, stuff, virginia yeah. fans know all about that um who do you play for yeah, think, those out real quick yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know it's it's worth remembering. Like, yeah, you know, I think we can all agree that you know Miami's probably probably got the most talent and the inside track to to be the coastal champ. But you look, you know, Pitt's got questions and talent. UNC's got questions and talent. Virginia's got questions and talent. Um, so, and you know, Miami's got plenty of questions. Um, so ultimately, it comes down to you know you're gonna play a lot of the same teams, but. You know, I think UVA's at the advantage of having Syracuse as their, you know, Syracuse and Louisville. I think Miami plays Clemson and uh, Florida State. And I can't remember who Pitt plays. I think Pitt's got the same Syracuse Louisville crossover this year. Um, I want to say, yeah, Pitt plays Louisville, right? Yeah. And then evidently, Sarah Carolina's got this Syracuse and NC State. So a lot of us got Syracuse this year. Um, How's that possible? Somebody's got to play them. Yeah. Well, Pitt um, plays them. Pitt, Pitt plays them every year. I don't know why yeah. Carolina would yeah. play them. Yeah, Miami. Yeah, has got them this year. State. No, Carolina's got Boston College and NC State. There you go. Correct. That's a different S. <laughs> no, they have they have Wake they have Wake Forest. I like that. That's I'm looking at their schedule. They go to Wake. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong year. And Miami <laughs> gets Miami gets Florida State at home. No, I'm looking at 2020. My bad. Yeah, that'll do. Um, it. You're looking at the COVID season. Yeah. <laughs> That's no, yeah, I mean, Car- I'm looking at Carolina's schedule. Like, 
their first three games they should win. I mean, I guess at App State could be could get weird. They what a weird schedule. They play Florida A and M in week zero, and then they play at App State and then at Georgia State, and then they get a bye, and then Notre Dame, <laughs> like, and then they get two weeks to prepare for Notre Dame. Yeah, like what? And then they got to play Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Miami, Duke, Pittsburgh. Man, that is a weird schedule. They really did. That's really weird. But yeah, they get Wake Forest uh, in in uh, Winston Salem. Have we heard anything about um, Old Boy since? I mean, they no. they they, 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 no, they still in the put Atlantic that thing on the <laughs> Fair. Except for Malik Cunningham, I hear plenty about him. Yeah. I feel like people are really riding the Malik Cunningham train. Listen, what do you guys saying, think about the Atlantic? Hold on, wait before we before we leave the coastal. I just want to put a put a pin put a bow on this, not a pin. Put a bow on this. Like, look, keep drinking the Kool Aid, right? If you're if you're a tech fan, but like, just be aware that sometimes the Kool Aid can give you indigestion. I and, mean, look at UVA's 2016 season. Yeah, there all, you go. We we were all we all thought they were going to turn it around. Yep, we all like, thought they. Yep, we're going to be you know, it's going to be fine. And then Richmond smacked him in the face. Oh man! All right, the Atlantic. I mean, it, it's Clemson gets the uh, got the um, the the media vote right pretty substantially, um, at least in terms of first place votes. From a point standpoint, NC State was pretty close. Um, I think there are a lot of people who have tried to talk themselves out of state being good because they're state. Uh, I have no idea what to make of Wake Forest if if um, Hartman isn't healthy, um, and I, we don't know when he'll be back. Um, anything like that. Cunningham seems to be getting a significant preseason bump. I mean, people are really talking him up a lot lately. Um, I feel like every time I turn around, there's something else about, you know, how great he's going to have, you know, his season's going to be. Um, I mean, I expect Clemson to win it. The question is why, right? Is it because their offense kind of came back to life? You know, you know, not necessarily saying they were like super duper, like, trash can juice last year but just that they weren't necessarily where they've been um they were trash can juice for like four weeks for a lot for a little while it was, but pretty, like it overall, was pretty bad for like a month <laughs> but like overall they they kind of rebounded a little bit and then i mean i'm i look i all i know is this i am not under any circumstances ever going to put any sort of expectation on nc state nc state can go out there and win a whole bunch of games the class of the league Da, 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 da. And I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Would never ever pick them to do it. Not, not under no circumstances will I will I be anywhere near that narcotic. No, thank you. They are helter skelter as hell, and I'm not touching them. Um, what's uh, what do you think, Dave? Do you do you have a a, a coastal? Uh, sorry, a Atlantic Division hot take. Hot take. Um, Clemson will have a different quarterback by week three. I mean, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think Clemson's got a roster that's border. You know, it's playoff. It's college football playoff. Other than DJ, um, I mean, he's got to show market improvement over what we saw last year. Like, you know, Ferber's watched a lot of that stuff. I watched a lot of that stuff. Their offense didn't get bad because uh, they forgot how to call plays or not have weapons. Um, DJ made some bad decisions. Um, now they didn't have the same caliber they did as a playoff team, but um, yeah, they. He just wasn't very good at, for a very long periods of time last year. And they've got talent sitting on the bench. So I wouldn't be so shocked to see him get replaced. Um, probably my biggest hot take, but I still think Clemson wins it. Um, NC State, as someone, you know, as an old guy, has been a lot of games. Um, <laughs> NC, 
NC State seems to always struggle when they're favored. So um, I'm sure they were they were happy not to get the the nod, even though there's a lot of people who voted them to win the Atlantic. Uh, it just seems, as a guy who's been around the ACC a while, and you, know, you guys have too at this point, but this seems like the type of season where NC State would normally um, lay an egg. So they've got talent, though. And I, and, you know, they've I like got a good win, team but, and a good yeah. quarterback, so it's kind of hard said, to be like they're going to be bad. Yeah, but you know, I'm looking at everyone – Talked about Clemson last year. You know, Clemson was six and two. They they almost won the Atlantic last year, um, and I expect them to do it this. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at NC State. Um, the game that I'm circling for them is Week One at ECU. <laughs> it's like I'm not expecting them to lose, but it's like you know, if they're not going to be NC State, like a good NC State, we're, we might find out real quick. Um, yeah, that's like uh, it's a noon week one road game. Like, you know, don't mess around. Um, and then, like, you know, October first, they they play at Clemson. That's pretty much that could pretty much decide a lot, I think. Um, and I will say that I, I got to pick Clemson there just because it's at home, and then also I think they're going to have kind of an axe to grind because they lost that NC State last year. I think that game will be important for them. Um, you know, if, if Hartman comes back, NC State and Wake in November could be interesting. I kind of think like Louisville might make a little bit of a push. Um, we're gonna find out, you know, like I don't think they're gonna be like incredible, but I think they could be like an eight four-ish type team. Like just it, it seems within the realm of possibility. Um, so I think that they could they could do that. They get NC State and Clemson late in the season. So maybe if they're in the mix, they get some important games down the stretch. The team that I feel like is definitely going to be at the bottom is Syracuse, and that is really not a shot at Dr. Bob or anything. Um, I'm just looking at their schedule and, like, what they have. And, I mean, they get Louisville right out of the gate. They get, they get Purdue, they get UVA early. You know, back – all right, so <laughs> this is their schedule. This is their – how they end the season, their last like half of the season. NC State at Clemson, Notre Dame at Pittsburgh, Florida State at Wake Forest at Boston College. Mm. That's pretty bad. My neighbors. Yeah, so it's like, what games are you winning? Like, <laughs> I mean, like maybe maybe you maybe you beat you know like in that stretch, maybe you beat Florida State at home or beat Boston college on the road. But if you beat Boston college on the road, you just lost like seven games in a row. <laughs> like, you know, like who cares? Everybody's fired. Well, all right, let's speaking of fired, do we want to do like a over under on the number of coaches who, um, I think Collins is a safe bet. By the way, I, for the schedule I referenced earlier, I was mentioning that they open with Clemson on Monday night on labor day. Their out-of-conference schedule includes Georgia, Ole Miss, and UCF all in the same year. So, good luck. All right, let's see. Yeah, they, went, they go Clemson, Western. Mm. Is it Clemson, then Western Carolina, then Ole Miss, then UCF to start the year? Yeah. Um, and I don't think they have, like, a crazy hard crossover game besides Clemson. I think it's, like – I want to say it's, like, BC or something, but – all right, let's let's say if I set the uh, over under for the number of ACC coaches uh, currently coaching in the ACC who are no longer coaching those teams next year, if I set the over under at two and a half, mm, that's a great over under, uh, Brad. 
Okay. Um, I'm going to take the over. Because you're saying Georgia yeah, Tech. I think you're saying Collins, and... Babers, and then one more. And if I had to pick one, I would say, like, if Satterfield doesn't meet his expectations or yeah, and I Matt Brown could retire. Yeah, that's what that's the one I was going with. Um, I was thinking, I, look, I'm I, look, I don't want to, yeah, you know, I don't want to start, you know, anything. I don't know anything, but like, dude, how much longer is he going to continue to do this? I think maybe like two more years. Yeah, that's probably fair. I think he wants to probably redeem himself for like what happened last year. Um, yeah. I also think there's a scenario in which, uh, like, if, if Pitt won the Coastal and went like ten and two again, maybe Matt Pat Narduzzi gets like the nebraska job or something right yeah um i would go over mike norvell also we haven't really talked about them at all um like i mean if they're like five and seven this year like he ain't coming back yeah that one's florida state man you you know that's one of those things it's like if crystal paul really works there for 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 miami it's gonna put so much more pressure i think on florida state to like go out and get get another adult in the room you know um, it's just weird to me, like how they've kind of. It feels like they've just botched two coaching searches. They like, really, really have. Badly. They really. I mean, have. Matt, Mike Norvell is fine, but I feel like Florida State should be getting like a, a more qualified coach. It feel it. It feels to me, and again, no shade at at Hubert Davis, but I will never understand Carolina not being able to bring in somebody with actual head coaching experience. Again, I know he's their dude, and I know he played there. Was all I get all that, but you're North Carolina. Right, like you, you carry a certain clout in college basketball. You should be able to go out there and find a guy who has who has won, who has a track record. Da da da. da. You're Florida State. Like you have, you have a tradition to uphold. You know what I'm saying? Like you should be able. The fact that they couldn't do that said a lot to me about sort of not just like where they are, but where everybody thinks they're going. Um, I mean, and I understand that like when you know, two hires ago, like they thought they were in a great spot and that thing just went off the rails so fast. Um, but how they responded to it did not help. Um, they're going to need, they're going to need somebody to come in and really adult it up, you know, but, or maybe more, maybe Norvell is the guy and they, they show that, you know, this year they, they make a big step forward. But my thing is like they, their quarterback position has kind of been all over the place yeah, really since Bobo. Jameis left. I feel like, um, yeah, it's been it's been all over the place. So and like I mean I feel it, like that's kind of holding back this year. Like it's hard to have like big expectations for them in a tough division when they have like a so-so quarterback. Just imagine if Sam Howell had gone there, you know? I know, right? I mean, like <laughs> that would have probably been a big, pretty big deal. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think we're on. just a little too close to Florida State. I mean, kind of what they're doing, that's pretty normal, you know. Yeah, that's fair. We um, you know, Nebraska's gone through that. LSU has gone like, you know, sucked for years and then come back. Notre Dame was basically terrible for what 15 20 yeah, years there um until manti tail showed up yeah yeah i watched that last night <laughs> yeah that was interesting. <laughs> um but anyway yeah i mean i think i would take the over as well like my i I'd, i wouldn't be surprised to see mac brown leave and then look louisville somehow you know they've got plenty of money being pushed um you know spent on um nil stuff and you know they've got brom sitting out there so if Satterfield, like if they go sick 500 or even probably a game above, there's going to be a lot of pressure to make a change there. Satterfield could also be the Justin Fuente could go if he's good or bad. 
Yeah, yeah that's true. and he Where might. It's be. like it's like if he loses too many games, he's fired. But if he wins too many games, he looks for the first available life raft. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Get me out yeah. of here fast. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's put a pin in it there. Um, we're, we'll get back to you next week, and we will discuss our um, our thoughts on UVA's 2022 uh, campaign. If you're somebody out there who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your shows. And if you're so inclined, give us a rating and review. We appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod but has not given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at CavsCorner.com. Right now, we got all kinds of camp stuff. We got video. We got Anthony Johnson and Nick Jackson, and I got James Jackson coming tomorrow. Ferber's got a story up on Cam Butler. He's got one on uh, John Paul Flores. Got some hoops recruiting stuff from Houston. Uh, we got all kinds of stuff. So give us a look at the website, CavsCorner.com. I want to thank My Perfect Franchise for their support of the aforementioned website and of this show. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I want to thank everybody out there for supporting the show. And, of course, to Dave and Ferber for being graciously of their time. As always, I very much appreciate all that they do. So, for David Spencer, Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.